Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. Hey everyone, in this episode, we're going to do a brief discussion about specific receptor theory. We'll cover a little bit about vasoconstrictors, why we use epinephrine in dentistry. We'll talk about everyone's favorite nerve block, the inferior alveolar nerve block, and talk about what causes the anxiety for students when we're learning this nerve block. We'll go over some of the landmarks that you need to just have in your memory, the pathway of insertion for the inferior alveolar nerve block. We'll also talk about some of the complications and troubleshootings associated with that block to really help you overcome some of the challenges that you face. Know that all of the challenges associated with the inferior alveolar nerve block isn't all about you and your technique. Some of it has to do with the anatomy. So don't take all of the blame there when you don't achieve successful anesthesia for that inferior alveolar nerve. It's a challenging one. And when you're learning, the learning curve seems to be bigger because you're aware of some of the complications and the troubleshooting problems. So sometimes knowledge is scary. Instead of knowledge being power, sometimes knowledge is scary, especially when you know all the things and you learn all the things that can go wrong. Those seems to be the things that you're hyper-focused on when you're first uh, tackling this challenge. But know that you're stretching yourself into somewhere that's uncomfortable And as you achieve comfort and success with the inferior alveolar nerve block, I have no doubt in my mind that you will become very proficient, very confident, and very successful in doing this injection. So let's talk about it. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying. Specific receptor theory. What is that? All drugs work by binding to a specific chemical aspect or a receptor within a cell. And that drug acts by making modifications to the activity of that specific receptor. Now, drug receptors interact by different characteristics, affinity, potency, and efficacy. Specific receptor theory helps us to understand how local anesthesia works. It really helps us to explain how local anesthesia drugs impact the nerve membrane. The local anesthesia binds to a specific, the local The local anesthesia binds to a specific protein receptor within the sodium channels, and only one molecule can occupy each protein receptor at a time. The local anesthesia molecule kicks out the calcium ion. It prevents depolarization, so there's no impulse. The local anesthesia molecule is binding to the protein receptor within the channel. The sodium ions cannot pass through and this prevents the influx of sodium. And when a nerve is stimulated, the calcium is displaced, which allows the sodium ion to influx. The impulse conduction, 
and the stimulation of the central nervous system. Specific receptor theory interferes with the impulse excitation process in one or more ways. It alters the basic resting potential, the threshold potential, as well as the rate of depolarization. Let's talk about local anesthesia, vasoconstrictors, and some of the basic pharmacology that surrounds them. Now we know that local anesthesia is a vasodilator, which means that it increases the blood flow to and from the site where it is deposited. What does this do? There's cause and effect, right? So it causes an increased rate of absorption of the drug, a decreased rate of the depth and duration of the local anesthesia because it will be dispersed rather rapidly, it will also cause increased bleeding and increased blood levels of the drug. So think about what a vasodilator is. It's a widening of the blood vessels, so it causes relaxation, and that's why you have an increase in blood flow. Now the opposite, a vasoconstrictor, narrows the blood vessels, so it tightens the vessels, which decreases the blood flow. The definition of a local anesthetic is the loss of a sensation in the area of the body caused by the depression of the excitation of nerve endings. This prevents depolarization and the conduction process in those peripheral nerves without the loss of consciousness, right? So that's an analgesic, which is a drug that relieves pain while a patient is conscious. And most of our dental procedures are done using local anesthesia because there's a lower risk to the patient versus general anesthesia. So this is a wonderful option for our patients that has developed over the course of time. Now, epinephrine, epi, increases the duration of the use of the local anesthetic by constricting the peripheral blood vessels. It slows that systemic absorption of the local anesthesia. It also provides hemostasis and increased profoundness of the local anesthesia effectiveness. So the patient will just feel more numb, more comfortable. It will feel like an exaggerated response. Important to know epinephrine is the most common vasoconstrictor added to local anesthesia drugs. What's great about the epi is it slows the local anesthesia's drug entry into systemic circulation. The degree of local anesthesia toxicity is really dependent on the rate of absorption and the elimination half-life. Articane has a really short half-life of about 45 minutes and has the lowest risk of systemic toxicity of the amide anesthetics. It's important for you to know that local anesthesia crosses the blood-brain barrier and also circulates through all the organs. So this is why the medical history is so important. It also crosses the placenta and enters the circulatory system of the fetus, and this is why it's also important to understand which ones are safe with pregnancy. Articane's been suggested for use with nursing moms and has the shorter half-life, where lidocaine's half-life is about 90 minutes. Now think about epinephrine. Very small amounts are used in dentistry because of the benefits. It's not ideal because we all know that the dental office is a very stressful environment. Epinephrine is absorbed in the bloodstream and that can really influence your patient's heart rate and the blood vessels. There's usually an undesirable systemic effect of epinephrine use in dentistry, but it's short-lived. Epi's half-life is about one to three minutes. So after injection, that's the time of observation where you need to be watching your patient closely for those responses. 
maximum recommended dose for a healthy patient is 0.2 milligrams. A medically compromised patient is 0.04 milligrams. Those are just numbers that you really need to memorize. Now, the dilutions of epinephrine are written in ratio form, unlike local anesthesia, which is written as a percentage. So 1 to 50,000 is the highest concentration of epi, and that's most effective with hemostasis. 1 to 100,000, which is the most common concentration used in dentistry, is your next level of dilution. And 1 to 200,000 is the lowest concentration of epinephrine. And this is usually used for patients who are really sensitive to epi or elderly or medically compromised. So an example of an epinephrine dilution is a concentration of 1 to 100,000. That would mean that there is 1 gram or 1,000 milligrams of the drug contained in 100,000 milliliter solution or 0 0.01 grams per milliliter. Learning about local anesthesia and management of pain for our patients can be very anxiety-provoking, but yet exciting because it provides us the opportunity to create a comfortable environment for our patients. And there's a trust bond that is built between you and your patient as you work with them. And that connection really helps you have an you have the ability to really create a positive outcome and positive experience for your patients. So it's a win-win for everyone. At the same time, it's important to acknowledge that the anxiety that you're feeling right now is your anxiety. So managing your patient's anxiety is secondary right now while you're in the learning phase of local anesthesia. And just listening to students talk, the number one injection that they're most afraid of seems to be the IA, the inferior alveolar nerve block. So in this episode, we're going to talk about that nerve block along with some of the other mandibular injections. I don't hear too much um, anxiety, stress, or discussion about the lingual because that one's pretty straightforward if you're doing the IA. And the long buckle, I think the first couple of times you do a long buckle, it's stressful, but then after that, it seems to make much more sense. I do believe that the IA has the largest learning curve. And I promise you, once you do a few of them and you relax your grasp and you just kind of calm yourself and trust your knowledge, the rest of it just gets easier. One of the problems is that we run into those variants of normal where not every patient is the same. And so we can have a failure rate with the inferior alveolar nerve block, even if our technique is textbook perfect, because our patients have so many variations. And that foramen that you're looking for might be in a different location. The size of the lingula can vary between patients. And sometimes if you hit that lingula and you get stuck or you contact bone early, it stresses you out and you don't know what to do. Know that there's some wiggle room in there and you can relax your grasp and work your way around the lingula. The other variant of normal that tends to get in the way for students is the flare of the ramus. And unfortunately, we just can't do filtrations on the mandible because it's more dense than the maxilla. So filtrations will not work. So in order to provide comfort for our patients, we have to find those landmarks, the inferior alveolar nerve block. And we have to know that patients are all just a little bit different and there's going to be 
some variations there. Some of the other stresses for students is that because there's a higher rate of failure to achieve adequate anesthesia for patients, we tend to reflect and think that it's something we've done. But know that the landmarks are not always reliable. The other thing that stresses students out is when they get a positive aspiration. When you aspirate and you get a positive aspiration, it's a little bit alarming when you're first doing it. Know that the inferior alveolar nerve block has one of the highest positive aspiration rates. And sometimes you'll get partial anesthesia with the IA nerve block, but not enough for what you're looking for to have complete patient comfort. So that's a problem. Now, the inferior alveolar nerve block, when you are preparing to do that nerve block, you're going to palpate the area with a cotton tip applicator when you're placing the topical. And what are the landmarks we're looking for? We're looking for the coronoid notch with your thumb and the pterygomandibular raphe. That's your little sweet spot that we talk about. And when you're looking for the right angulation, some of the landmarks you can use for guidance is the occlusal plane of the mandibular teeth and those contralateral premolars on the opposite side of the arch. You're going to place your thumb on the coronoid notch. Keep your thumb parallel with the occlusal plane. This will help you with the angulation. The barrel of the syringe is positioned over those contralateral premolars. You're going to keep the barrel slightly above the occlusal plane as far as your angulation. You're going to insert slightly lateral to the pterygomandibular raphe. You're going to be about two to three millimeters superior to the greatest concavity of the coronoid notch, just medial to the internal oblique ridge. So you can see how important it is for you to remember and review all of your stuff from oral anatomy. If you're the right-handed clinician, it's probably most comfortable for you to sit at eight or nine o'clock if you are doing the side, the inferior alveolar block towards you. And you may feel more comfortable sitting at 11 o'clock if you're doing the inferior alveolar nerve block away from you. And the opposite is true for the left-handed clinician. Let's just have a visualization of the needle pathway. The needle pathway goes along the lateral aspect of the pterygomandibular raphe through the thin mucosal tissue and the fibers of the buccinator muscle into the pterygomandibular space. It passes lateral to the medial pterygoid muscle, the lingual nerve, and the sphenomandibular ligament. It's just superior to the lingua and the mandibular foramen. Now, it's ideal for us to aspirate on two planes, especially if you have drifted from your targeted site, which often happens. And you'll know if you've drifted from your targeted site if you are not still positioned over the contralateral premolars. I cannot stress this enough. You must contact bone when you are providing inferior alveolar block. Withdraw about a millimeter, aspirate, and then slowly deposit. It should take you about 60 seconds to deposit your anesthesia about 1.5 milliliters or three quarters of a cartridge. If you go too fast, your patient will feel it. If you go too slow, your patient will think you're taking too long. So there's this magic spot in the middle. And you can do some distraction techniques with your patient while you are doing that 60 seconds of injection. I want you to know that if you do not achieve success when you are performing the inferior alveolar nerve block, 
know that poor technique is not to blame all the time. Sometimes the anatomy is to blame. There might be an absence of the pterygomandibular raphae. The most common reason is due to technique at first, but know that it's not because of your technique, it's just that the strategy might have to be different for specific patients. Reassess the visual area and palpate those landmarks that I spoke of. Think about your insertion. Maybe you're too low, below the mandibular foramen. Maybe you're in front of the mandibular foramen. Did you come across the contralateral premolars? Were you parallel to the occlusal plane? I'm not gonna lie, the most common cause of failure is because you're below the target area. The target area for the inferior alveolar block is about six to 10 millimeters above the occlusal plane of the mandibular arch. If you contact bone immediately, you're too far anterior on the ramus or you're too lateral to the pterygomandibular raphae, or you're penetrating too low. You wanna withdraw and reposition the needle. If you prematurely contact where you're less than half the needle into the target zone, withdraw to the superficial depth and then reposition. Move anteriorly over the canine, advance slightly so that you can get around the lingula and if there's no resistance, you're going to reposition over those premolars because most likely you've bumped into that lingula. Maybe you've prematurely contacted the external oblique ridge. There is so much impact on the IA of anatomical variations. If your bevel has hit the lingula, move the barrel of the syringe and allow the needle to pass by the lingula by relaxing your grasp. And maybe you need to take a breath. If you don't contact bone, you've inserted too far posterior, you're going to partially withdraw about halfway and then make the correction, move posterior and move the barrel over the first molar. Now at times the barrel is pressing on the contralateral corner of the mouth and this can make it very challenging. Important to keep in mind that you always have to go over the tongue. Never go around the tongue when you are performing an IA injection. The other thing is the sphenomandibular ligament may be in your way preventing diffusion of the local anesthesia to the mandibular foramen. And as I said, there's a higher risk of a positive aspiration. The bevel may be within the inferior alveolar artery and veins of the mandibular foramen. The good news about that, other than you have to change everything and start over, is that you are in the right area. So if you get a positive aspiration, be proud of yourself that you've used the landmarks to get yourself in your target zone. And sometimes the presence of the maxillary artery is lower and in the pterygomandibular space, and that can cause you some issues. Know that your patient could end up with a hematoma with or without a positive aspiration. And they also may end up with some trismus from piercing the muscles or multiple penetration sites. These are just some of the complications that occur with the IA, which I think also adds to the anxiety level of students when they're learning because you guys learn about the complications and some of the troubleshooting that you have to face. Facial paralysis can happen if by mistake, you anesthetize cranial nerve number seven. And know that the other complication that happens 
is if you insert into the parotid gland instead of contacting bone and you incorrectly deposit your solution into the parotid gland, please know that the facial paralysis is temporary, but it is a little bit anxiety provoking to think that that is possible. Now, one other thing that can occur when you're doing the IA block is lingual shock. And I've actually had this happen to me. The needle passes by the lingual nerve to get to where you need to go in your target zone. The patient may make an involuntary movement and it gives them a quick jolt of anesthesia. They, the anesthetic will take place very quickly. It's almost like an electric shot that occurs. Communicate with your patient. Do not pull the needle out or change the directions. Stick to your plan. And you can communicate with your patient that, oh, you passed by the lingual nerve on the way to the inferior alveolar and the patient experienced a little bit of a lingual nerve shock or electrocution feeling. It's a really strange feeling. And really all you have to do is explain to your patient what happened and they will understand. It's important for you to also know that damage can occur to the nerve or the nerve sheath causing paresthesia, which can cause the local to work longer than we need it to for the expected duration or alter sensations like taste, tingling, or itching beyond the normal level. So we want to follow up with every patient that we provide local anesthesia to with just a phone call just to see how they're doing after treatment. Now, paresthesia can also result from a contaminated needle. So the only place that needle goes in, is into your target zone, into the injection. If the needle becomes contaminated on your way into your target site, you need to reassess and, and change the needle. So you never want to use a contaminated needle on your injection. I would invite you to send me any questions that you need answered. Questions come up when you listen to this podcast. I have a link in the show notes and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Also, I would appreciate a review if you have time to leave one. Thank you so much. Thank you.